I'm Anthony Casey, and welcome to the episode of Training Talk Truth. Episode 10 with Training Todd and Truths, and I'm here with uh, Fred Olivo. Olivo, is that right? Yes, Olivo, correct. Olivo. <laughs> and um, basically, today we're going to talk a bit about uh, Fred's book. Yes, For God So Loved Even Me. Even Me, that's right. And you sent me a copy of this book, and I've only recently read it. And uh, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. First of all, congratulations for uh, being able to get a book out there. Uh, it's a huge achievement. A lot, not a lot of people have their own story to tell. Warrants a book, um, and I, I, the thing I did like about it, it was kind of short, but it was to the point, and it still had everything in the book that you needed to know. Um, so I, I really enjoyed. I have to say, I really enjoy reading the book. Um, first of all, I just I know you probably we don't really know each other at all, but this I, this is my own podcast, and it's called Training Thought and Truth. And basically, it's it's new it's new enough to me. This is only episode ten, and um, just basically a bit about my background and where I'm coming from with the podcast. Training is like basically it's about physical, mental, and spiritual health and how to become balanced all together. You know, so the physical is a lot of training. We talk about exercise, how it's you know diets and how exercise go for your mind, and that leads on to the mental side of things and. Um, how you you know studying and certain books and having the right drive for life helps you and then um, which also leads into the spiritual because I think you know that's one thing you do need in your life to be complete you know I think I was missing that part for a while and only the last few years I kind of reconnected uh, with my kind of more spiritual side my Christian side more so you know and so that's basically what what this is about so this would probably fall on the truth side of things um so yeah so i'm wondering if you might be able to bring me over your journey from uh from kind of beginning to where you are now and like it stated kind of in the book and just how how you get on and how the book came together kind of you know without you you can say as much as you want about the book or you know sure sure well first of all i want to say i want to thank you for the opportunity to to meet you and for you having me on your podcast um I'm humbled, and Later. I just want you to know that the one of the reasons I was drawn to your page was the training. I am, you know, ironically that not only do I have a book and we and I have a testimony to the glory of Jesus Christ, but I do maintain a balanced life where I do have a workout regimen, and for and I've been in shape for many many years, and it, and it's a big part of my life. It's great, and my daily routine. Yeah. That's great. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. You know? <laughs> yeah, as well as my spiritual workouts. Sorry, I lost you there. As well as the... <laughs> as, as well as my spiritual workouts. You know, I work oh, out yeah. as a well as a spiritual man. I try to keep them balanced. I don't I don't let the, the natural man get any bigger than the spiritual man. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of saying it as well, isn't it? Yeah, keep, you have to keep that balance. <laughs> yeah, the balance is all important, isn't it? The, and I think the balance between... Yeah, that that's it, you know, because I think one helps the other, you know, your your physical health 
your mental health obviously helps your physical health. I think spiritual health, health you know, helps both, you know. And there's even scripture in, in the Bible you find on that, on how um, physical training exercises go for the, for the body, you know. But um, I looked at, to, to Delph, I'm very glad he did seek out my page and he did come across it. And um, I was very happy to, to, to for getting your book. And it was a few weeks before I was actually away in Israel. Uh, the wow. whole, yeah, last it was my uh, it was a birthday present from my uh, my girlfriend, and um, we were away last week, and we were in Nazareth, Jerusalem, Galilee. Oh, we had a big oh, I had a big list of places I wanted to see. So we we're seven days, and we were traveling every day, you know. But uh, that's when I read the book, you know, funny enough, and when I had time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of apt, you know. It's good. it's a good place to read it, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, the minute I did start reading, I was stuck into it, and even I was on the plane on the way back and getting off the plane, and she would tell you, you know, getting, you know, go. I had to stop over in Munich and jumping on the little tram going between the two airplanes. I was reading the book and the tram and everything, you know. It's very, it's very good. I couldn't, you know, I highly recommend it. And I've recommended to friends of mine already, you know. But um, so yeah, so if you want to talk a bit about the book, I guess it starts off where I would think, kind of begins with your father, um. In the very beginning of it, and um, I don't know if he kind of had the same uh, this kind of gang mentality. Kind of, I remember the story about the dog, um, and maybe you can you might tell it a bit better than me. Yes, I, I did know at the time. Of course, I, I learned more as I as I matured and I got older. But yes, I was literally born into a um, I'm not going to say a criminal family, but um, you know, uh, my father did. Uh, do some things that were against the Lord, you know, to supplement his income, him as well as my oldest brother and other family members. Um, they worked for uh, uh, these families in New York who, you know, they collected money, they carried packages from one location to another. They did things like that. And um, I, I, I always knew that um, something was uh, out the norm because Whenever on Saturdays, my father and I would have time together when he would come visit because him and my mother separated when I was very young. I think I might have been three, four years old at the time, and I didn't remember the separation. But I remember I would go with him to different locations, you know, restaurants, bars, uh, bodega stores, supermarkets, and people would always give him money, you know, envelopes of money. And, uh, you know, I found that strange but you know as a young kid i didn't give it much thought and i remember one time my mother laughed hysterically because she says well how did you and your father uh visit go today i said it, it went well ma i said but you know i find the strangest thing i said people seem to like that very much because everywhere we go somebody's always giving them money and uh come to find out that's what my father did to supplement his income he yeah. you know he he collected money and <laughs> early on uh as you read in the book um my father and and his associates went to collect some money from some guys in the bronx things got out of hand my father wound up going to prison for murder and um him and i were separated for 18 years he yeah. did 18 of 30 years oh. and um he did come back out and he started restarted a life and uh he just recently passed but he he passed knowing the lord jesus christ as a savior really and, yeah and um so sorry to hear he, passing, but i'm happy to hear that sure. yeah he as well was redeemed and so as far as the book goes uh i will be the last one to tell you i ever thought that my little life could, you know will be an interesting story as i'm hearing 
but I, I'll be honest with you, brother. I, um, I sat in that story for 20 years. Um, yeah, that's true because and, you know, and and it came about. Sorry, go ahead. No, the way it came about is, you know, I, I, I am a youth minister and I speak to, and I have sessions with, with youth, you know, group sessions. And, um, I would share bits and pieces and they would be on the edge of their seat. You know, the only time they were really giving me the undivided attention is when I was free speaking about, you know, my, my former life or, or some of my experiences. I never really went into in depth, you know, uh, even in the book. I mean, there's some things that I, I just would never, ever speak about, you know. Um, and the things that I do speak about is the Lord allowed them to come to light because you know, the police were involved. So, you know, things that, you know, uh, certain things I would just take to the grave. But um, I was literally bought into that life. So, and, you know, I didn't choose that life. That life chose me. And Not so, in a lot of ways, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure was. Um, so uh, the young people would encourage me to write a book. And, you know, and I will go back home at night and think about it. Say, it, it the last thing I would think is that I could ever write a book or anyone would be interested. So finally, after 20, 21 years, I um I started putting my some words down on paper. And and, um, and some people read it, I, you know, who helped me edit it. And, and um, they found it very interesting. And then I realized that, you know, it wasn't my story. It's God's story. And it's a story of his servant, the law of Sister Rodriguez, I was just a vessel, you know, uh, a main character in the story. And, uh, yeah. And I realized that, you know, as uh, my children were born and my grandchildren was born, that I, uh, you know, the, the way my life unfolded and who I am today. And, and when I look back on the years and how I came to today, you know, I knew it had to be divine intervention. And, and I realized that the story had had to be told because it's to the glory of God. You know, it's to encourage those that are feel hopeless, to encourage those that are in the church and know that God is still in the, that Jesus is still in the miracle business and, and that he can change your life. And the key here is change your life if you want it. Yes. Yeah. He, he is not going to impose himself upon you, but if you want to be a willing vessel, do you want change, which is I did at an early age and he changed my life. That's true, you know, and I often um, talk about the line in in the Bible where it says, you know, I stand on every man's door and knock, uh, but it is up to the people to open that door, even, you know, because some people have their fingers in their ears, it literally aren't, aren't listening for the knock, but, you know, when you do kind of open that door, it makes it, that's all it takes sometimes, isn't it? So maybe if we can jump into that then, you know, um, into the book, because it's heavy at times as well, isn't it? The, you know, you really did go deep into the gang mentality and uh, that side of things, um, and it, which is great in the long run because it just shows how how someone could be down that far, you know, and come up, you know, from that, you know, really show it. It speaks to people who who feel they're in them situations, you know, that you know if you can do it, you know, they can do it. That kind of Absolutely. Thing. Sometimes it takes someone, um, I know you've gone through an awful lot, but sometimes it takes that person to um, to be the example, to set the example for everybody else, you know, or for a lot of people, you know, we, we really don't know how many people we do reach with our own stories. And uh, I think, you know, your story, you know, it's great that you got it out. And I think you were meant probably to publish it because, you know, it is one of those stories that is written for a reason, you know. 
So, uh, so yeah. So, so when we're talking about this story, a lot of this takes place in your teens, I'd say. Isn't it? It's fifteen to eighteen almost. Um, a, a main part of the book. Um, right. And so, c- can you tell me how you fell into that? Um, yourself, you know, even with your father, where you you fell into that kind of a uh, criminal kind of lifestyle, a gang lifestyle. Well, those were the examples we saw in the neighborhood in front of us as we were kids. I mean, there, it was nothing for me at eight year old to see a drug transaction taking place across the street or in, in the hallway, um, you know, seeing the, the pimps and the prostitutes and, and, and you know, walk in the streets. And, and, and the examples that we had in front of us were guys who were on the street corner, you know, pulling in this all this money. And, you know, uh, and so we aspired to be like them because we had no other examples. I mean, TV back in those days was very limited. So we didn't have any positive characters or influences from TV. And, and so we become a product of our environment, which is exactly what happened to me, which is why at 18 years old, I believe that the, uh, uh, God's mercy and grace came upon, was extended to me because I literally was involved in the life that because of ignorance. And, you know, I, I have a saying that I told my young people is sinner see, sinner do. And as a young kid, eight, nine, ten years old, you're impressionable by these people and, and, and this activity. And then you desire to be with like that because that's all you see. So yeah. that's what exactly happened to me. I was the victim of my environment. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they say, you know, We've done a lot of reading on um, the kind of once you fall in among a gang of people as well, you know, the kind of what they stand for or the uh, the gang mentality becomes who you are. You kind of lose your individuality. It's very hard to to break out of that. I, I know you have a line in, in the book and it's um, it's talking about this, you know, two gangs coming together to fight on one particular night. Um, I think it might be the night... Um, I, I, after, the afternoon is I don't even know why we were fighting about when I think back on it you know um, and it might have been you were stabbed at one stage and yes. was that the night I'm thinking of no no the the, the I was a I, I part of many rumbles but the rumble that I spoke about and mm-hmm. some of the things that I do speak about in the book are first time experiences yeah. you know just to, to move the story along and no there was a First rumble that we went to, and we decided, decided to go on a Sunday evening, try to catch them off guard. Right, yeah. But they were waiting for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they rained down rocks and bottles on us. And, um, you know, it was it was a it was a very scary experience. And then, um, of course, and the police came and things like that. And uh, yeah. so and, and and that's when I say is and the funny thing about it is. No one even told us why we were rumbling in the first place. Yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? You know, you, you get into this uh, um, the mindset and it's not your own mindset all of a sudden. You don't even think twice about it and you run with it. You know, there's a statistic there uh, I was reading from, I think it's Psych Central. It was once 5% of people in the gang have an idea, it's very easy to motivate the 95%, you know, and it's true, right. you know. It's almost like ideas have people rather than the people have the ideas, you know, they run with it. But um, but you did, you talk about a friend um, um, in the book, and I hope you don't mind me. Bringing no, no, I, not, not at all. His name is Link, I believe you're going to mention. 
the link, yeah, but I was actually going to bring up Lozo um, from uh, from when you did go to school with him, and um, then you turned out when you told each other your secrets, you're in rival gangs, and you did come across each other at one stage, and this is actually what I was thinking of. This is when you got stabbed, isn't that right? Correct. Um, that was fairly horrific, horrific and kind of scene because I can imagine you came face to face and you said, you know, you can imagine something was going to stop it from happening because you were friends at this point, but nothing did. He, he didn't even acknowledge that he knew me at all. I mean, he just ignored that. And, and things happened so fast, but he had enough time, and, and that really bothered me for years. He, he had enough time to, you know, to say, hey, hold up. You know, they may, they, they may be uh, uh, not with us, but, you know, not necessarily a rival gang. You know, I mean, we didn't have any problems with them. We never encountered them, but, you know, things just unfolded so fast that we got surrounded and we were outnumbered. I remember uh, my brother telling me a few days later in the hospital that the newspaper said there was somewhere between 40 to 50 of them, and there was only nine of us. So you can imagine how much how much we was outnumbered and yeah. um yes and i and i was stabbed that night and uh i was left for dead i was stabbed and beat really bad with chains and pipes and stick you know I, I, you know the kind of clubs and things i'm not exactly sure all they had it happened so fast yeah um but you know i was i was beat pretty bad and um i remember the doctor saying excuse me i remember the doctor saying that if i would an uh, older man like a 40 or a 50 year old i probably wouldn't have survived it Really, yeah. Well, it must have been fairly severe. Yeah, you know, because at 14, 14 and a half, you still might be, you know, developing a little rubbery, you know, like the babies, you can drop them and think, you know, they, they're pretty durable. But as we get older, you know, we can't withstand, you know, a trauma like that. Yeah, you don't heal as well either, you know, you're still growing, obviously, at that age. But um, a couple of things that stru struck me from that, you know, you at the time, you were so filled with anger and rage. I remember you, you, just one line I want to quote to you. You said that the hate and anger is like having a thirst that can never be quenched. And that's how you felt. About the, that's right. That, you can never be, never be quenched. Yeah. No matter what you did, you're not set, you would not be satisfied because it's such a... It's, it, and I realize now from a spiritual standpoint, that is a spirit, that anger, that, that, that rage. It, um, you know, these are the kind of things that, you know, when we come to Jesus Christ, we, we begin to surrender and, and, you know, he begins to to help us through them and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it, it's really bad. You know, this is why you see in the world these tyrants and things like that. And I'm not going to mention any of their names who capture the enemies and they torture them real bad and then they kill them. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, yeah. so, yes, it, it's, it's they're just no matter what they did to the enemy or they they they're just it's no satisfaction. Yeah, and it's true. I think, uh, you know, I agree with your standpoint on it, you know, then different feelings are spirits that overtake you, you know, you, you know, you see it in people, you see it in groups, you know, um, but, you know, in, in some ways, from reading your book, I realized, though, in a lot of ways, maybe these type of um, incidents also helped you, um, like there was a part where you were in a detention center and you're talking about having to prove yourself straight away. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're hardened up then to a certain extent to be able to even take on that situation, you know? Um, so it was like you needed it when it was there and you needed it, you know, you could use it for keeping yourself 
um, you know, I'd say safe maybe, or you know, in that particular environment, because that's a that's not a normal everyday environment. You know, that's a that's the that's that's not the outside world. That's its own, you know, environment. Um, and about this guy putting his feet in your chair the first day you're in the detention center, and you uh, you knew you had to make a point of that then straight away, kind of, or else you will be targeted. I suppose is isn't that the way then these things work? Yeah, and you yeah, all hear that. Um, Right, um, right. They they try you, and if you know, and this is what I try to convey to the young people today. This is the message, the purpose of the book to get the platform to you know to get the the group settings to let the people know that uh, th this is what I try to tell the young people is that you know these these environments you don't want to go into, and and if you do, only the strong survive. It's it's a jungle atmosphere. And you know you you have to you know you you have to you you have to become a savage, and I realized I saw that happening in my life when I was there. It's like you know uh, you you on guard all the time, and it's like everything is violence and everything. Only the strong survive. Yeah, I I also um you know enjoy reading about certain things that uh you know the book in a way is like a movie in certain ways like because you you do see scenes like that in like the likes of sopranos you know where it's the first day of the prison you know but um also you know you had a couple of escape stories you know yeah. in the book and you can just imagine the pressure or uh, the fear of that actually happening you know because i imagine this is something that inmates think about every day but to actually go through with it you know and you actually got pretty far you know <laughs> with a few of them didn't you you know uh, you got down the road, you made it to the car dealership at that stage as well, you know, or um, would you go out in the, in the bus on a different occasion? You actually got away with, with that one for quite a while, didn't you? Yeah. Well, in the first reform school that I went to was a more of a open grounds, cottage type atmosphere, um, you know, more like a, like, a, like a work camp. So yeah. we, were, we were open for it. You know, we were far away from everywhere. So, you know, even if you decided they called the A war, if you went A war, you probably couldn't get far because the nearest town in either direction was probably, I'm not sure, I want to say 10, 15, 20 miles. So, you know, though we were in open grounds, but we were in the middle of nowhere. So it was like, but the second reform school that was, and in, 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 in at that time in, in, of the early 70s, uh, Juvenile like me, our activity was kind of new to society. I mean, they didn't, you know, they, you know, there was always bad juveniles, but you know, those of us of the early seventies kind of were taking it to another level. So society really wasn't prepared for us. So we were incarcerated, and in, in, during my second escape, they had barbed wire, but it wasn't kind of like the barbed wire they have today, where you can't get away from, you know, the the big circles and the big all, all around. You can't get over that, but you know it was some barbed wire. But they just probably never thought that you know, you know, we would attempt something like that. But you know, it still wasn't easy. But it wasn't as hard as it would appear to you know. To, I don't think today an inmate can do that. Yeah, yeah, and also just uh, talking about the prison system, and um, you end going to eventually Rikers Island, which is uh, I suppose the maximum security penitentiary there, isn't it? It's where the you found yourself, and really, the, the set of circumstances um, is quite unfortunate, wasn't you? You were out, and you were kind of targeted to a certain extent. Um, by you were kind of well known when you came back 
a bit. So your, your reputation had been uh, that way. And uh, when you when you were eventually, there was a kind of a framing, wasn't there, of your own character that led you to this this place, which is which is really going in with the the lowest of the lowest or the or the worst of the worst, really in that place, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's something that uh, I would never forget. That's that was an experience, and and that place was truly truly a jungle atmosphere, and. Um, yeah, what, what happened was the incident that that, that happened there, um, besides the time that I spent there, uh, the rival gang put out a contract on me, you know, um, and, and so this guy was going to carry it out. And, and so he was looking for the right opportunity. You know, I knew people in there. So, you know, someone gave me words. Somebody let me know, hey, this guy's here. You know, he's he's a he's a professional at this, you know. He got a couple bodies, you know, to his credit. And um, so you need to watch yourself. And, um, you know, um, so it, and that's what I did. I mean, but leading up to that, um, you know, the, the few weeks leading up to the actual incident, um, it was nerve wracking. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I was getting advice from old timers. Um, they were saying this, you know, it's like it's better to, you know, two things you need to do. Put it in your mind when you wake up here every day and, and you'll be at peace. You're either going to have to kill someone you're gonna, or you, you need to be willing to die. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the way. That is, that is the jailhouse mentality. That's how you survive in prison. And you have to be ready to any given day, give the sign of the cross and just be ready to check out if you have to. Because it's better to live there the rest of your life will respect them one day without it. And then there's other things that can come upon you, like, they, you know, other things that can happen in prison. And I just do not see me uh, being able to live with myself, allowing something like that to happen to me. So mm -hmm. they need to know that if you want to come at me and you want to try to do anything sexual or take my property, I'm willing to die. And take one of you with me. This yeah. is the mentality you need to have. Or else they walk all over you, and everyone will do the same, probably. You know. But I'm only I'm only speaking from what I'm reading, obviously. You know. But um, I know also it, within that place you got uh, thrown into solitary confinement uh, for 30 days. I believe it was this 23 hour lockdown. Uh, 23 and a half. 23 and a half hour lockdown. Uh, and can you can you talk a bit of what that's like? That that's very hard to even imagine. You know, even keeping your sanity in a in a small confined space for that long. Well, ironically, uh, our president, former president um, Obama, just signed a, an executive order before he left office to uh, put an end to that solitary confinement for juveniles because um, it, 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 it's really, really, really detrimental to us. I only spent 30 days, and I tell you, I would never forget that. Um, people say, oh, maybe 30 days. But when you spend 30 days in solitary confinement, one second, one minute, one hour, one day at a time, it is long. And it was the month of August, and I was in the middle of our, 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 our prison. It's surrounded by the East River, which is where all the human waste goes of New York City. And... and the walls be sweating. You can get the stench. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, I don't know how I ever survived that. 
And I told you, just that 30 days alone, I'm not saying that, that I never, anything I ever done in life, I felt to that point, I paid for it in that 30 days because it was a tough 30 days. And I'm telling you, a lot of guys couldn't do it. I seen every day somebody was cutting their wrist. Someone was trying to hang themselves. Someone was trying to set the cell on fire. Uh, someone was always said because you can go crazy. Yeah. And also, you know, the guards didn't make it easier. I, I know what you said, the way they'd say about if there's a fire in here, you know, you guys aren't getting out because they wouldn't have the time even. And the, the worrying thing was they weren't just threatening. You know that that is actually true. You know that they wouldn't have the time to release you if, if anything like that were to happen, you know. You yeah. were at the bottom of the bottom at that stage. Yeah, every night someone would yell, we're going to die in here tonight. I'm going to burn this so-and-so down. And you knew. I mean, you got accustomed to it. But you still, I would still go to sleep and say, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. If it's going to be, it's going to be. Just, I just couldn't worry no more. The worry outweighed the 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 stress of the worry outweighed the actual it happening. So I I would just say I'm going to see. I don't care. But we knew that it was possible because it was an old prison at the, the time. The the section they had us in, and it and it, it was the kind where the guards had to come and open each cell individually with a key, and they're not going to be able to open. 55 cells on one on one tier, somebody's going to die. He might get one or two, two of us out, but he ain't going to get the rest of us out. So we know we will die. Yeah. So we, we had to live with that 30 days knowing that, hey, today might be my last day. It's crazy, you know. It's, I can't, most people won't ever imagine what, you know, what it's like to go through something like that. But I, I, I guess, don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, but when you came back then from from when you were released and um, you kind of came across a new influence kind of on the street you know albeit small the pentecostal groups uh, i know um, this is where this is where sister rodriguez comes into things you know and this is her introduction into your life at this point and um, not that straight away and um, there was a big things happening she was kind of in and out for a little while and she she was like I was trying to get you around to uh, drop out of church, which she were obviously weren't that interested in at the time. Um, can you talk about how she kind of built her trust with you? It seems like, you know what, it, it seems very scary. You can imagine, you know, her walking in among gangs, you know, not knowing their nature or anything like that, you know. Um, you know, it was very difficult for any one person to do it, you know. But... Um, how did she catch your ears? How did she eventually get you to uh, get on that well, book? Well, first of all, what, what we liked about Sister Rodriguez is she has spunk. We admired her. I mean, and she also came, she also displayed to us a, a love that we've never seen before. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i be honest, we, we, we're tough gang members and things like that. We, we're still only 14, 15 years old. We still would like to have, you know, be cuddled and, and, and be loved. We just never had that. And she came and she was like a surrogate mom to us. I mean, she showed us love and attention and, and compassion and something we've never seen it before. And the main thing about Sister Rodriguez that we embraced about her is that she was real. You can just see the realness about her. And she was a lady of strong faith. And she, I, she generally cared for us. I mean, we never had anyone who cared for us. She cared about us eating. She cared about our... Uh, 
physical health. She cared about, you know, that we have regular checkups and, you know, things like that. How are we doing, you know, in our, our bodies? I mean, she just she just generally showed us care and love. Of, and and on top of that, you know, she introduced us to Jesus Christ. And, and you know, she did all of this as a woman of God. That's right, yeah. That's something, um, she eventually did manage to, to send a bus for you to go to the church, you know. Uh, I remember you saying, even on the bus, there was a lot of, like, drinking and smoking and all, you know. Uh, we were hanging out free. the window. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't your We were record. hanging out the windows, yelling at people, whistling at the girls, you know. <laughs> just being just being rowdy and um, having fun. It was a Saturday afternoon, and the bus driver, i never forget, I, I couldn't tell you his name, but... He was just so at peace. He was driving like we weren't even on the bus. It was like it was his mission, you know, his contribution to his service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, he didn't care. He was going to get us there and get us back. You know. Yeah. yeah. But something happened in that church, and and it was with uh, I'm trying to recall his name. Was it Fridge? Hammer. Hammer. Sorry. Yeah. Um, before you know, you went in and you went up the front and. Um, on the way out, he uh, something strange happened. He fell to his knees there and then. Um, explain what, what, what took place there. Well, you know, I, I, I think of that often. And um, it's it just one of those things that you, you can't really put your finger on what happened. It, it was definitely the spirit of God. It was definitely divine intervention. It was definitely supernatural. Um Prior to that, us going to church, he had just come out of the hospital. He was involved in a bad car accident. He was in, he stole a car. He had one of our other gang brothers with him, and, and the car hit a pole, split in half, really bad. He was disfigured. His face. He was really bad. The other guy uh, died, and he felt responsible for his death, and it haunt. It was haunting him, and um, that day in the church. You know, I guess the spirit of God was moving, you know, at the time I didn't know, but I can say that now uh, the spirit of God was moving upon us and um, or the anointing was there upon the pastor and sister Rodriguez that it just hit him so hard that on the way out, he fell to his knees and he started crying. He was, I, I can't remember everything he was saying, but he was like, we didn't know how to pray or anything. And we didn't know, you know, the, you know, the difference between Jesus and God and all of that, but he was just, you know, crying out, uh, please forgive me. And he was, and, and, and the amazing thing about it is that he was, he was, he was a tough guy. Yeah, he was, I, he was like I, your biggest guy, wasn't he? He was like, for him to do that in front of all of you, I'd imagine, you know, was a shock. It, it had to be real. It, it, it was definitely God. It, yeah. You know, it, it was nothing else but, you know, God, you know, uh, the spirit of God moving upon him and, and, and the funny thing, we stopped in, we all started looking at him. And I remember the pastor and a few other uh, elderly, I guess the deacons or whoever they were, the elders of the church rushed over and they all started praying on him, praying over him. And then I remember it's like we all dropped to our knees like this. And, and, and we talked about it. And even today, you know, I, I, I couldn't talk about this with a, a natural minded person because they would not understand. But it was like something. Something pushed us down. I felt a, a, a weight on me. It's like, get on your knees. It's like, you know, it almost like, I guess you on holy ground. You know, this is my turf, you know? And um, and we all just kind of like, 
we all didn't weep. I don't think I weeped, but, um, you know, everybody prayed for us and laid hands on us. And I remember, uh, um, you know, people praying and laying hands. And, and it, it, I guess we, we must have been down there by 10, 15 minutes. Really? Wow. Um, and then we just, something happened. We got up and um, we marched out to the bus and, I remember we rode the bus back home, you know, to the neighborhood. We didn't have a home. It's just our neighborhood. Um, And nobody said a word. It's just like, you know, we we all had this experience and nobody can can explain it. I'd say it was probably uh, a strange sight if you... Say you live nearby, sitting out in your garden, seeing a bus pull up, and you're all shouting at the window and drinking and smoking, and seeing everyone in silence driving back on the bus. You know, are these the same guys? You know, we were definitely subdued. Yep, yeah. we yeah. were definitely subdued. And obviously, by something very powerful for because there was quite a few of you there as well, wasn't there? There was. Yeah, there was a few dozen of us, about you know, uh, 30, 40, 50. We always went around in a mob, so that we, you know, on any given day. You know, there was 10, 15 of us together. Um, yeah. You had to, I mean, because, you know, we, we had learned that experience the night, you know, that night that I got stabbed that, um, you know, you need to keep the numbers strong because they, they, they come in numbers, actually. The strength in numbers, yeah. But also then the, the church group kind of moved off for a few weeks and um, you kind of, you you dropped a bit, I'd say, into... Um, Maybe you call it depression. Like you, you, uh, you overdosed. Is that right? Uh, yeah, um, we were. Uh, I remember there were barbiturates, uh, second nose, tuber nose, volumes, and uh, we didn't know much about that. Um, if if I have to say anything that there's positive about the gang is that yes, we might have smoked and drank and things like that, but we didn't do. We really were mu- very much against hard narcotics. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we used to fight the drug dealers in the neighborhood, the junkies and things like that. We really, we didn't like it because most of us experienced, had a lot of bad experiences in our families because of our drugs. Either, you know, someone was robbed, someone was killed, someone was strung out on drugs, you know what I mean? So we were very much against that. And so I, that day, me and, and, and one of the other guys, we decided, we, you know, stupid, youthful things that we dropped a few pills that didn't know, you know, uh, you know, the different doses about it or anything. So the next thing I know, I started feeling drowsy and started, you know, hyperventilating some and sweating and very disorientated. And um, I guess everybody else picked up what was happening. They walked me around. I remember gave me water, things like that. And uh, the next thing I know, I passed out. And then I came to and said, I can hear Sister Rodriguez's voice. And they, she, she ordered them, I guess, to take me up to my mother's apartment. They, I don't know how much they stripped me, but I know that, you know, they took off my clothes. And, um, and I'm, I'm sure they put cold compressors upon me and things. And I'm sure she did. She was praying. And um, uh, I remember um, hearing her pray. And... Felt myself drifting away. Yeah, that's right. You had almost like a near death experience here. It sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah, out of body experience. Um, I wasn't hovering over my body or anything, but I can feel myself drifting away from everything. And and you know, I can still hear it, but it sounds she sounded so far away. Um, and you know, 
during that those those I don't know what it was an hour or two moments I don't know it was seconds uh, wherever I was going was a lot of darkness and and I I was getting I felt a lot of heat. Yeah, I remember reading that, the darkness and it's kind of heat, you know. So obviously, right. you know, what you think of straight away is that you weren't going to the right place anyway, you know. It doesn't sound like the comfortable place you're going to. Yeah, it, it, it's not the place I want to go and, and it's the place I want to keep everybody to come in contact from, away from. Um, and then the next thing I know, I just woke up. Um, didn't know how long I was out or anything and... Um, I guess it must have been a long time because everyone, now that I look back, my mother, sister Rodriguez, a few of the neighbors were there and they seemed pretty tired, worn out. So I'm sure they were laboring with me a long time. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, a, that was a, an experience I'll never forget. I was going to... Yeah. It's one of the experiences that made me a believer today. Really, yeah, yeah. I suppose all these things probably were, were building you up slowly, weren't they? Like even uh, Hammer's experience in front of Ollie and your own experience that day and the likes of that as well and the influence of Sister Rodriguez. And, um, but also, you know, she she um, invested a lot in you as well, didn't she? Like not just time, but even, you know, I was reading about the protests about the, about the racist cop and... Um, where she, you know, would put up the bail money for you to to get you out. It was like she was putting a lot of faith in you as a character. She kind of clicked with you, didn't didn't she? In a lot of ways, um, you and her made a kind of one on one connection. Yeah, she um, she showed me, and and I live by this today. You know, the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. I have a young man today that I'm I'm visiting. He's in prison for murder. Uh, well, actually, he's in, in, in detention for murder, but he's in the process of, uh, of going to court for trial and things like that, which is set for sometime early, I think, February of 2020. And, um, and, and, and I've learned from that that, you know, the unconditional love, surrender of Jesus Christ. And that's what she showed me. You know, she wasn't judgmental in any way. She wasn't condoning or condemning. Uh, yeah. She was just a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was right in the middle. Lord, you know, like what, what, whatever you're gonna do, I'm here for it. Lord, use me either way, whatever you need to do. And uh, so I learned what it is to be an unconditional servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, and and I also learned that you know that there's no such thing as a bad person. I believe that everyone could be redeemed if 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 they want to, and 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 one's life can be turned around. And be you know a constructive life in Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's also around this time a couple of attempts on your life where um, this also was a strange kind of experience or coincidence maybe where um, you turn around and there's well first of all there's two shots whiz by your head and you turn around there's a guy with a gun to your head um, which sounds like a point blank range you know what's going through your mind at this stage you know when you when you when you stand in there well i i, I speak about that incident uh because of uh, you know at the time that it ha happened and um but you know i've had many experiences like that so not that i was accustomed to it but you know it's like you know i i, I i've been there before but you know uh, uh, you it, it, 
I, I never really could put it in words. I mean, I was scared. Uh, I knew I had to do something. Um, but his gun jammed, and he took off running. Yeah. I guess at one time I probably would have chased him. But uh, um, I just remember sat down. I was relieved because I was as good as dead. I was a goner. I mean, there is there is no way. It had to be divine intervention. Can no one tell me there is no Lord Jesus Christ just that night alone? Never mind the other things that happened, the other things that God has proved himself to me. There is no way that God was not there that night or showing himself or who he is to me because uh, I was a dead man. And um, it happened so fast. I got caught off guard. I'm normally on guard. I, I, don't, I don't normally creep, you know, let people creep up on me. And I, I guess I must have been so deep in thought of my, about my future, my depression, what I was going to do, um, that this guy just came out of nowhere and on a Sunday night. And, um, and, and, and it just, it's just something that, you know, the, I've gone over it probably thousands of times in my mind, and I, I just, it, it, it had to be God. It, there is no way that it was not the angels of the Lord there because, I mean, two shots at the back of my head as, as I'm going down the steps at the same time, and then the gun jams. But you know one thing I remember? i never forget the look on his face. Yeah. That's it. You believe it, yeah. I always said to myself, if I'm ever going to do something like that, I'm going to take two guns with me because uh, <laughs> you, you never know what happens. But I thank God I never, I never, you know, got involved. That, after that, that wasn't the end of it, unfortunately. With you know, I know you also said about the club, you know, uh, incident where you went down to the basement, you know, because that's obviously where the restroom was, um, and you come across a guy like the, the, you know, these weren't just random encounters. Obviously, you know, this was. Uh, this is probably a uh, rival gang, and obviously they, they were out to to sort to uh, to do you one way or the other, um, and you got into a bit of a skirmish with this guy, and when the gun went off, um, and you found yourself then in a big trial. Uh, yeah. And this one was again um, this time as well. Talking about Sister Rodriguez, she had for the first time you you had. A proper actual attorney, didn't she? It wasn't free legal aid at this stage. She was actually looking for. You no, know, she obviously put in a lot of money in and time and and faith into it. She believed you straight out, right? And um, she trusted you, and so you had a bit of a fighting chance in your corner this time round. Um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. She remember he was named Paul Silverstein, and um, a tough Jewish guy. Um. He, he 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 was he he was really something. Um, yeah, that night what happened was um, I I guess I was being watched again, and um, they they were looking for an opportunity. Now I did have some of my boys with me that night, but you know of course I don't take them to the bathroom with me. So you know I went downstairs and I came out. I remember the guy, you know it was kind of dingy dark down there, and he says, uh, you know what day it is, and I'm I'm laughing up there, and uh, yeah, you know. It's kinda, it's Saturday party night, you know, it's like, and he, and then I see the gun. And uh, so I guess what he was trying to say, you know what day it is, is the day you're going to get plugged. Yeah. So, you know, we, we rehearsed this over and over that if anybody, even today, I live by this, God forbid, I, I don't go anywhere people have guns, but you just never know. Um, you know, especially what's happening in America today. Um, 
I'm not I'm not gonna take uh, I, I'm not a no tough guy. I'm not no hero, but I'm not gonna take a standing bullet. You know, yeah. I mean, you're gonna earn your bullet. So this guy, you know, he pulled. He took more than a split second to pull the trigger. So I charge him, and we're fighting for the gun, and the gun goes off. I didn't put it. I I had put it in the book for the 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 publisher that wanted wanted to take it out. He got actually got shot in his groin. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, uh, we we had a joke about it. He, he almost became a sheep. <laughs> and uh, so um, so that ironically that that helped out a lot because you know from the hospital reports and things like that they can see that the the bullet came down not in or up so that's right it, you know yeah. it, it, it 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 confirmed the story of me fighting him for the gun uh i you know i i guess you know maybe when he loaded the gun he was drunk cuz there there was his, his fingerprints when I was on the bullets and on the gun and you know uh, um I, I remember giving the gun to Sister Rodriguez, and she gave it to the lawyer. And he turned it into the district attorney, uh, and they did whatever they had to do. And um, so it, it, all the evidence came back confirming that, you know, it wasn't my gun, and, you know, and I was a victim. And um, But it still took, like, 18 days to clear me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I told people today that, you know, you think just because you can get someone to go up on self-defense, there's still a due process that has to take place. You're not going home tonight. Yeah, so it's yeah. best to avoid situations at, at all costs, even if it is a self-defense case, because, yeah. you know, you're not going to, you know, just give a police report and walk away. There, there's a process, and mine took 18 days, and I thought mine was pretty short compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, I can imagine. But in, in the meantime, you are kind of in Sister Rodrigo's uh, custody almost, and I guess she's... This is also working on your your mental state as well, or your spiritual state, really. You know, because um, I know you you decided to. I know your your friend Hammer. You know, you, you made peace with with Lozo. You know, and um, he obviously gets sentenced because he goes down the road of drug dealing, and Hammer um, gets murdered, um, and kind of while you're getting a chance to see you know, the different ways that that criminal lifestyle can end, you know, you're being sent on, on the right path. And, you know, it, it's kind of showing in a way that there's only one way out or one or two bad ways out of that lifestyle, really, you know. And uh, had you stayed going down that road, that would most likely have been your fate also. You know, you're in the same environment, same gangs of these guys. Um, but by, you know, by your story, you, you were saved for it you know um and i'd say you know i'd say i can imagine that's still all, all down with you it's you know in, in a lot of ways um trying to get in this and, and i know when you were saying you were trying to get on the straight and narrow a lot of offers were coming in and money was tempting you back into that lifestyle and um you know i often say you know when when you kind of change when you come almost like born again in, in these kind of things you know it's like someone dropping a ladder down in a cave, you know, and when you grab that ladder, they are every every bad thing in the cave is rushing out to grab you and keep you pulled down, you know. And I suppose this was you hanging onto the ladder while things are pulling at you back, you know, people offering you money and you were trying to go straight and narrow and you're getting very low pay for the kind of jobs you were you were doing, you know. Um I'd say it was very tough, you know, to to keep your um 
how would you say, you know, keep headstrong and, and keep going straight while all that was happening? Yes. Um, I told my young people, uh, one of my famous sayings is that every day that we get up, we, we have two roads ahead of us. Which one are you going to take? Um, yeah, I, I, I remember those were some tough times because um, I, at that point, and I knew it, you know, it, it was time to pay for, for my bad choices, um, not going to school, um, you know, thinking, you know, I want to be my own man, growing up too fast, doing what I want to do. Um, so it was time to pay. And uh, this is what I told the young people today is that, um, you know, the choices you make today, make sure you can live with them tomorrow. Yeah. Um, because um, everything comes full circle. Yeah. And it comes back. And and, uh, and I knew it. And, you know, and that, and that bothered me. And, um, you know, there's nothing more pitiful, more hurtful than, 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 a, than a man or a young man developing, understanding, beginning to understand things of life. And, you know, you can't sustain yourself with employment and um, you have to do that in work and, and things and, you know, minimal labor and, and things like that. And yeah. um, I'm not saying that's bad because those people who do those things, they're good people as well. But um, you know, it, it hurts, you know, how, you know, you're going to get a, you know, you want a life, you know, you're thinking about a wife, maybe even kids. And, you know, you, you're not asking for great riches, but you know, you want to be able to, you know, earn enough money to, you know, to pay your bills and, yeah. you know, you Take know, go to a restaurant every once in a while and things. So, yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, it's disheartening, you know, or whatever like that. But I know, you know, you obviously had the strength, you know, you were getting a lot of help, I suppose, um, even if you didn't know you were probably. And um, then this came time when you decided to surrender to, to Jesus. Isn't that right? And you kind of... Um, you you repented on a lot of your 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 life at that point, wasn't it? Yes, uh, I just want to say that the time it, it was seven years, I believe, between uh, Sister Rodriguez and me surrendering. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it didn't it didn't happen overnight? I thought you know I went on trying to do life on my own, and you know, and I was learning that you know, and I was encountering a lot of situations at working with people. Um, that you know and, and and i was learning of myself you know i was growing up because i was developing to a man and and learning myself and and i realized at one point that though i wasn't in the gangs anymore but i still had a gang mentality because i you know i i you know i don't know how many co-workers realized you know they were wiped out every day you know in my mind um <laughs> you know or, you know it's like you, you know, I, I would look at them and say, you just, you just don't know how close you are to being gutted. You know, yeah. it's like, and that, bothered me. that bothered me because, you know, I didn't, you know, I, that, that bothered me. And I realized that, I, you know, that I was rotten on the inside, though on the outside, I was a different person. I cut my hair. I used cologne, you know, things like that, um, you know, uh, but on the inside, I was still that person that, that, you know, and and I realized at that point that you know it's like having an automobile. You can work on it on the weekends. You can do certain things, but eventually you're gonna have to take it to, back to the one that made it, the manufacturer, to fix it up. Yeah. And, and I realized that with me. So 
I surrendered and 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 didn't happen overnight. But um, even today, I grew some today. You know, it's 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 a salvation and learning of Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong process. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And you know, it's it's a constant knowledge you know building exercise. And the more you read on it, and, and the more you look into it, and the more you develop, you know, you build that relationship stronger, and you, you become, you know, wiser with it. You know, um, there's a line I think in the Old Testament that's, um, you know, w- wisdom comes after the fear of God. <laughs> you know, and it's it's true. You know, you become, you start to really understand what it's saying in a lot of ways. You know, and that's why I wanted to. Um, that's why I was in Israel. That's why I wanted to go there because um, become very important in my life over the last few years, and uh, I wanted to look at it. You know, something happened to me as well. It was an experience that couldn't be explained, and um, you know, I was kind of on the fence before that. And I said, well, if this is going to be an important thing in my life going forward, I want to know. You know, evidentially, is this true? Historically, could this be true? I want to know. Cosmologically, because you started reading neuroscience, I started going into every aspect of it, and the more I read, the more I found evidence for it, you know, and I couldn't believe it. And I spoke to other people, you know, sometimes you think of when you're not religious in any way, you think of religious people in the church, you have a bad, you know, there's a dogmatic kind of thing you think about where, um, you know, these people aren't intelligent, you know, these guys, they're just, you know, going mumbling along and, and you know they don't know really science behind things and that but then you look at all these theological books and you know professors and i realized the whole scientific revolution was founded by christians and you know even going to israel was important for me to stand where certain events happened and just built me more and more in my faith and uh, kind of right, like you know, it, you know, it lights up your your spirit. You know, it, it gave me a big drive coming home, even to, uh, you know, straight away. I, I wanted to get you on because I read your book while over there, and you know, it's also you know a great story of of faith and and um, and of what your faith can do, or what even open the door slightly, you know, can can do uh, at the impact it can have on people's lives. You know. I think that's why your book is so important, you know, that's why I've been talking about people to it, you know, it's not a long book, but it really is one of those stories from, um, you get a lot of these stories, rags to riches, this is that story, but in a spiritual way, you know what I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's the way I see it, you know. Um, from sin to the saint. Yeah, yeah, or from gangs to God, that's what I like. <laughs> There you go, I like that. But, um. Yeah, you also you you did manage to land um, a job. You were going through career kind of guidance, and uh, you did come. You know, this printing job came up. Isn't that right? You know, uh, you were yes. Delighted. I'm still a printer today. Yeah, that's how you you that's where you kicked off, isn't it? And you yes. also, in the meantime, you went and became the unordained youth minister. Yes. And that's what yes. you do today. And this is obviously what you're talking about with this guy on uh, on on in in incarceration at the moment. You you speak with. And what do you do there? Do you help them find their faith? Well, I, I not necessarily. I just show them, you know, uh, uh, a love and a compassion. The sister Rodriguez showed me. I learned a lot from her and just got them through. Um, they're going through a rough time in their life. Just got them through. Uh, um, you don't have to preach to them or say a whole lot to them. 
actually what I do, because I've learned a lot because of personal experiences of the criminal justice system and how the criminal justice system works. So actually what I do is I kind of like guide them through on a, on a daily basis, explain to them what's, what's the next process, what they can expect and things like that. I help lawyers um, uh, um, look at different jury uh, 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 candidates for the jury, um, strategies for the, uh, the, the, for the defense. Um, you know, these are things that I have learned and with the spirit of God guiding me, uh, it's in righteousness too. Um, so, um, it's a great calling, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's great. It, it could be sad at times. Um, it, you know, it, it could be sad at times, frustrating as well, but, um, Yes, I, you know, I'm great. I, I, just, I don't believe there's anything, that, there's a bad kid in the world. I believe we all can be redeemed and fixed up if we want to. So who am I to say who's the candidate and who is not? My yeah. job is just to go and show the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, not look down on anyone unless I'm helping them up and see who at the end of, at the, end of the day or, or at the end of time, who's standing, you know, on, on the right hand of God. Yeah, yeah. And did your father come back to come to faith? Was it true seeing you or was it his own? Well, I, ironically, I have my, my father had uh, three sets of kids for three different marriages. <laughs> and I was from marriage two. So for marriage three, um, two of the brothers are preachers. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I mean, we we just recently got reunited uh, in recent years. Um, um, so yeah, I got two brothers that are pastors, and so uh, when I showed up, you know, with my faith, it was like the old man knew something. He knew it was more than just coincidence, you know. <laughs> one, maybe two, but uh, the third one that didn't grow up with one and two. <laughs> or three and four, whatever they were. I, I think I was two, so they're three and four. And he, the, the, the old man knew that, you know, God was real. And, um, you know, uh, he had heard, you know, he he knew, you know, throughout the years, you know, the, the, the things that I was going through and things like that. So, you know, to run into me as a man at 28 after he came out of prison um, and, and see me, you know, with a family, with a career, you know, um, loving, you know, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he, he was just taken back, you know. And, you know, the only regret I have about the book is I left out one small story, is that when my father and I were reunited after all these years, you know, separation, I told him we went to a, a, a carnival in Baltimore Harbor, in, in, here in, in Baltimore, Maryland. And they had a carnival and they had a merry-go-round. And I told him that he owed me and that I would never ask him ever again for anything, but he needed to go on the merry-go-round with me. <laughs> and me and my dad got cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. I never forget, I sat on the pig, he sat on the horse. <laughs> and as they went up and down, we went around and I was a five-year-old for once in my life. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's just good. Yeah. I can imagine the scene. And <laughs> um, what was I going to ask you there? Ian? What? When did you? Or when did you actually write this book? 
I wrote this book, uh, I believe it was published uh, June 2017. Okay, so it is very recent. Yeah, recent. I sat on it for a long time. I had it in my safe, and I didn't think that, you know, anyone would be interested. And to be honest with you, uh, Brother Casey, I have received some rejection because of it, even from, unfortunately, uh, some people in the church. Uh, I think that people are looking for more like a book, a book of from the streets or from gangs to uh, Oxford or Harvard. That's not my story. No. My story is, hey, you know, I come from the streets. You know, uh, I, I was rescued, literally rescued by Jesus Christ. He gave me a new life. And today, you know, he taught me how to be a man. He made me a man today. He taught me the things of value. He taught me the value of hard work, um, you know, through his teachings of the scriptures. He taught me to know that, you know, there's no respect of persons. He taught me to know that, that we are value of, because of who we are, not what we have or what job title we have or what political affiliation we have. Um, you know, the integrity and self-respect is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how, and that's how I live my, day, my life today, integrity and self-respect, you know, be a man of my word. And, um, uh, and those are the things that they value your man. You know, I realized that, you know, and I often tell my young people, it doesn't matter whether you're a Rockefeller or a poor fella. When you're on that slab in the morgue, you're equal. And only what you do for Christ is going to last. Yeah, you can't take any of them stuff with you. But, you know, it's funny when you say that, you know, I was, um, a few years ago when I started my faith at rebuilding, um, my grandmother was very religious and um, she'd have fights with the family. A lot of who are my uncles and, and uh, aunties and that, you know, they all just let her at it kind of thing, you know, but she was really um, an influential person in her neighborhood, you know, and um, she uh, organized a lot of things. Everyone knew her as that person, you know, but, um, you know, I, I rang her up and um Really, you know, what had happened, I hadn't realized what happened. You know, I had this kind of um, kind of spiritual awakening and um, I didn't know what to do about it. And I uh, I rang her up and I told her and she, she um, I asked her, I said, listen, can you get me, can you help me obtain two things? And I said, uh, I'm looking for a Bible and I'm looking for... You know that picture, that classic picture of Jesus, I trust in you, you know, the painting. And uh, we used to have one in our house years ago, even though my, my parents wouldn't really be uh, Christians. Um, but it would always have it around. And I asked for them two things. And she said, well, I'll, I'll do better. I won't just help you find one. I, you know, I have them things. And if, if you let me, I'll give you them. I said, OK. Well, when I, when I hung up the phone to her, she rang my father, who's atheist and uh she bawled her eyes out because she had just prayed the night before for at least one person in their family. She was getting old and she wanted <laughs> at least one person in the family to um, to find their faith, you know. Um, and she told me afterwards, you know, and uh, she got very sick straight away almost, like within a month or two. And, you know, um, we didn't get, to, we had planned these, we lived in different counties, so we planned on uh, having a lot of sleep. Uh, like my, I was going to stay over a good bit and talk to her about it. We never got really around to that. But her, um, her influence, you know, um, I have the cross in my kitchen now that she was uh, that she passed on. She passed in front of us all, you know. Um, but 
she was like she gave me the new testament and um just what you're saying about uh, jesus's life you know um uh, i i every time i read some some lines of it i don't really highlight it but i write it in my phone i have these notes on my phone that just uh you know some of the the things he said in parables or even just lines they're so intelligent for even if he was just a man they're so incredibly deep and intelligent they, no one even speaks like that anymore but they're timeless you know all these lines and then um, they're just like statements and uh, they're, they're mind-blowing really you know there's so much guidance in it you know and um, if he was just a man, he was the most intelligent man who's ever walked almost, you know. And I, so I really, like, hold on to them things and, and look at them often, you know. And um, it's only been positive, you know. It, it, they're all it's just positive sayings. And, and, you know, I think it's great. But it, so when you say you said in the story for a long time, what made you turn around and say, I'm going to write this now? What what was well, the turning point? I, I, I actually... Um, the the Spirit of God was um, positioning me. Uh, I started not having peace about it. Um, one of the th things I know about my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is intact is because I, I'm experiencing something that I never did before in the world, and that's peace. You know, I, I do have a peace. As the Bible says, it passes all understanding. And when that begins to get rocky and things, I, I know God is trying to get my attention. Uh, I, I think each and every one of us should know uh, in our relationship with when God is trying to get our attention. And, yeah. you know, I did everything I could to get out of it. I did not want to do this. I, you know, I just didn't want to really put all this out there. I mean, I, for one, I, to be honest with you, I didn't think anybody would really be interested. You know, but then I realized that it's not my story. It's, it's you know, it's I'm just a caretaker of it. it it's, it's my testimony to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I went at it with God, with Jesus over and over, and I told him, who's going to believe it? Half that stuff, you know, nobody's going to believe it. And he says, in, his, in my spirit, he tells me, uh, tell me about it. I know exactly how you feel. You know, people don't believe me. You know, people don't believe the virgin birth. People don't believe that I walked on water. People don't believe yeah. I rose from the dead. And it's like, yeah. so yeah. Walk, walk, welcome to my world, son. You know, it's like, okay. If we must, and um, and and then I went ahead and did it, and um, so, that and was, here we are today on your podcast. Yeah, yeah well, you know that rings the bell with me a bit because uh, over the last couple of years, you know, even though I was saying that I had a renewing of faith, I wasn't doing much with it. Yeah, I was doing some volunteer work locally and stuff like that, but um, kind of visiting old people through different organisations and things like that, um, but. I wasn't, this the start of this year, I, I I was going driving to work in the mornings and there was something going on in my head that I wasn't doing what I could have been doing. You know, there was something that I could be doing that would be right. a bit meaningful or significant. And it was really like, you know, a calling and it, it resonates with me when you say that because it was at that point, and I, I really do think that these things happen like in perfect timing sometimes as well. You know, there's a right time for a lot of people things you know but you come across people at certain times while you're working on certain projects that influence certain things and have a ripple effect um and it was i think in may at the start of this year that i it just got to a stage where there was something i i was asking i was saying out loud i i know there's a calling there but i just 
need to see a sign of what it is. I don't know what it is. And um, I remember looking at me and my brother play music and uh, we played it all around the country, kind of uh, acoustic guitars and singing. We've done that for years. We had all this equipment sitting up and um, it was kind of summertime and we had microphones and all this kind of thing. And then I was listening to a lot of, we're watching a lot of YouTube and testimonies and looking at podcasts and things like that. And uh, then it kind of dawned on me one day that I had all the equipment for a podcast, microphones, mixers, everything just sitting there. Like, you know, a lot of people had to invest in like a grand or 1500 quid to even get going on these things. But I had it all. And I had, um, I was sitting at the back garden and I was watching my son play. And the son was out and I had a pen and pad. So I knew something was coming, you know, and uh, I just started writing. And um, that was one of the first pictures I had up on Instagram was uh, the idea, you know. And, you know, it was training and thought. And uh, for years, my mantra was, um, it was, if you're physically and mentally ready for the world, you know, you'll succeed. But there was always something missing. And it was the spiritual, spiritually ready for the world because um, you, you, I think you, you really need that. I was missing something before that. And it's train thought and truth. It's truth for a reason, you know, and it's for I am the way, the truth. And uh, that's why it is there, you know. And um, I kind of ease people into a bit where the, the first few episodes are all fitness-based Kind of, and then I'd ask at the end of it, so uh, where's your motivation come from? You know, was, are you atheist? Are you Christian? Yeah, get big supports on that, you know. Um, but really, like, uh, then, you know, uh, my last few episodes have been very spiritually based, very Christian based, and I was talking a lot about it. And then a lot of stuff was coming up that was more like that. And I was trying to hold off on it a bit. And I was like, well, people who are more to the fitness side will walk away from it. And then I just said, look, I have to keep these rolling. I have to just follow whatever is being brought to me, you know. And now I feel like so I'm not dictating this anymore, you know. Like once I finish an episode, there's another one there, and it's down along the same lines. And funny, these are the ones above the fitness ones. You can see this demographic worldwide, you know, if there's people in Australia and America and all watching it, and they're watching the ones that are talking about uh, Christianity and uh, the testimonies and people want to hear these stories they're raw stories you know everyone goes everyone can go to the gym and lift weights or go out for a run but you know when you have a story when you're um, you know when your life changes because of this overbearing force you know it's very interesting to people you know you often do watch debates on YouTube you know atheists versus Christians and even the atheists are watching it so much and commenting you know it's 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 an important topic for everybody, you know, and if there's a drive towards it, you know. But um, I, th- I I get what you mean when you say the calling, you know, and I think that it's great that you did get it, even though it is. But and, and I think that I got it at the same time, and it probably works out well for us talking here and now because it's the same time we were crossed over on it as well. Hmm. But uh, I think it was. I think it's a it's a great book, and um, that that book, you know, I I think it would be great as well, you know something that's kind of overtaken your books reaching young people is the audio book. Did you ever think of, um, of releasing it as an audio file? Yeah, that, that, that's also available, you know, through the, Oh, you have it. Um, the name of, of the other evades me at the moment. Uh, uh, oh, this is still new to me. Yeah. It, it's available in audio. Is it? Well. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. good. 
Yes, yeah, yeah. so I wasn't too sure. Yeah, because I was going to say um, that uh, even at the end of this podcast, I was going to put a link of, of where you can find the book because I really do recommend. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, I have no other reason to say that. You know, to to go and read the book, I think it's a great book and uh, probably as well hit home for where I was at the, at the time at the place in the world when I read it. You know, was the, was the Holy Land. You know, so I had a, f- a few external factors coming. That, that, that's on my bucket list. I'll, I'll be there one well, day. Yeah. You won't you won't regret it either. You know, we we did Nazareth and we did um, Sea of Galilee. Um, I was rebaptized in the River Jordan. Um, I went and I saw the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the tomb. It's amazing, you know. I, you know, I brought my girlfriend who was kind of dragged along, you know, but uh, you know she enjoyed it as well, you know. And I have to say it was it's it's one of these one in a lifetime kind of trips. You, you get two planes too, but it really is an amazing place, you know. But um, you know, I, I, like I, one thing I was going to ask you: Why did you pick that title? Actually, you know, it's an allude to John three sixteen, you know, but. Uh, for God so loved even me. Did you did you come across that one day and say, you know what? I- <laughs> well, that, that that title came up because if God can take the time and the effort and everything that He went through to save someone like me, to 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 orchestrate how my salvation came around and send Sister Rodriguez to the neighborhood and things like that. And me being nobody, I was nothing. I was just, you know, to the world, to the world at that time, I was, I was nothing. You know, I was written up. I was scum. I was, you know, we, we, we were insignificant. We were just sucking up the fresh air of the world. But yet, God saw fit to orchestrate His servant coming to the neighborhood, and me being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ because of it today. So yes. So it, it it isn't it like I was anything special, I wasn't I was less than special, but yet he took the time to save me. Very good. And a final question for you: What does Sister Rodriguez mean to to yourself? You know, in the in in your life story, what part does she play, really? You know. Uh, well, I, I believe in heaven right now that they say we get rewards and we get crowns. I believe that, you know, she, she reeled in the big fish and she, um, she, she showed me, you know, what, what guts is and, 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 uh, determination, what faith is. Um, I mean, you know, she had her moments with us. I mean, don't think that anybody was very friendly to us. I remember. I remember one time um, police tried to intimidate her because they were told to stay away when she was around to stay away from us. And the cops didn't like that. And when I know, I remember a cop was questioning her from the police car saying, who do you know? You know, she says, I have friends in high places. <laughs> and he says, well, who do you know? The captain? She goes, higher than that. She says, who? The commissioner? said, higher than that. Oh, don't tell me you know the mayor. She says, higher than that. He says, well, who do you know? She says, the king of king and the lord of lords. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And, uh, no, I'd say so, she sounds like she must have had an impact. She's almost a role model in, uh, for your life. It sounds like what she has, the impact she had made on your life is what the impact you're making on other people's lives now through your ministry. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, these people give up their whole lives for these things, you know. Um, Nuns like that, you know, they, they give up a family life and uh, staying at home and following their own. 
you know, pleasures and, and things like that. But um, it's great to see that, you know, these things do work, you know, them going into these neighborhoods, you know, they are saving lives. I think it's amazing. And uh, listen, Fred, I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I've got a link below um, at the places you can find your book. And I really do recommend everyone read it because I think it's a great story. And um, and it takes a lot of courage to, to pen it and to get it out there. Uh, but I'm glad you did. So, uh, Thank you, Casey, brother. Casey, yeah, thank you so much. And um, I just want to thank all my Instagram family out there who are listening for your love and your support. And I just want to say that if you don't raise your kids, the devil sure will. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. And I really appreciate you coming on. And look, we'll keep in contact as well. I sure uh, yeah. will. Yeah. Thank, absolutely. thank you so much, brother. Thank you very much. Uh, peace out. God bless you. Thank you.